0: Hi, I'm Peter Alsa. back with you for Chapter 2 of my live concert album, Family Roles, that I recorded with all the folks at the Power of Laughter and Play Conference at the Disneyland Hotel. We talked about the importance of making a commitment to our own self-growth because we know that growth requires making changes and taking some risks as we venture in new directions. We agreed that before we can pass on helpful information to other people, we're going to need to gather that information for ourselves. Then we all took a risk together and sang I Am a Pizza and talked about how emotions are contagious and why it's important to have a healthy emotional vocabulary. And we wrapped up Chapter 1 as we mentioned that many of us had experienced some uneven parenting as we grew up. And I sang Bob Blue's song High Standards about a dad who put pressure on his child to always get A's in school. So that's where we'll start today with Chapter 2 of Family Roles. That's a great song. That's my song. Can I do that song, please? I want to do that song. And he said, you want to do that song? And I said, yeah, it's a great song. He said, I don't know. There's a lot of controversy in my family about that song, you know. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, my brothers and sisters aren't so sure Dad should have even got a B plus." You know? <laughs> I don't think we can go through our lives, particularly our childhood, without having some pain. I, mean, I just don't think it's possible. You know, in some people it's real obvious what the pain is. Incest you know, physical violence, you know? Other people, it's not so obvious. Maybe our parents just aren't there for us a lot. They're working, they're busy, and everybody in the community thinks they're wonderful, but they're not around for us, and that hurts too. Maybe other kinds of things. Mom maybe be just uh, hooked on prescription drugs or something, just not there for us in certain ways that we get the message, or so teasing or ridicule that goes on in our families. That everybody says, what's the matter? Can't you, I wouldn't tease you if I didn't like you. Well, if you like me, just tell me, don't tease me. Did you ever get, you ever get a, a splinter in your finger and you don't notice that it hurts until you move your finger. That ever happen for you? Did you ever get a splinter in your finger? In- <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. Well, what happens is my my friend Annette Goodhart is who's here this weekend as a, a mentor and a teacher of mine. She's a wonderful, uh, clear thinker and. Um, she talks about, see, when you have pain in your childhood, it's like getting a knife in your back. You get this huge knife in your back. It hurts no matter, you know, how old you are or what the pain is, it still hurts. And like the splinter in your finger, you know, if you hold your finger just a certain way and don't move it, you don't feel it. So we do that with a knife. We get this knife in our back. We kind of get into a position and go, ah, oh, there, that's okay. I don't notice it now, you know. And so you've got to go through your life like this, you know, and you go to college, and you get married, and you raise a family, you know, and you start a business and things like that, and you're going through this. And the whole time you're, you're talking to people, but the implicit message is, don't touch the knife, you know. Do you ever have someone touch your knife sometime when you're having an argument or something like that? You know, it's like you know, all of a sudden you're a lot more angry than you should have been for what was going on. It's like having your buttons pushed. Come on, have you ever? how about your parents? Do your parents ever push your buttons? You know why your parents can push your buttons so easily, don't you? They installed them. <laughs> They are. So and that says people come into my office with this huge knife in their back, you know, and it's like they don't know what's there anymore. They forgot because they like I moved, you know, they don't want to touch it, you know. And they come in, they say, well, my life isn't working so well. Maybe uh, you could do something to help me out here, you know. She said, th- the message to her is don't touch the knife. And she said, My job as a therapist is to tell them I love them and walk up to him and put my arms around him and give them a big hug and, and twist the knife, she says, you know. And I twist it and twist it, and they feel the pain, and it hurts but then the knife can fall out on the rug, and the wound can heal. We don't have to walk around with those knives in our back. She says, people come into my office, hanging from this 1,000-foot cliff by their fingernails, looking down onto jagged rocks below, and they're going, help me, help me. And she says, my job as a therapist is to walk over and tell them I love them and stand on their fingertips. you know.' Kind of. <laughs> and then they let go, and they find out it was only a foot drop. See, it just looks like a 1,000 feet when you're a little kid. And now we're grown up. And we can get some other tools in our toolbox so that we can take care of ourselves in ways that we couldn't. Because when we were little, it was like you were gonna die if you didn't have the support of the big people around you. Does this, does this make sense to y'all? This is a right brain presentation, okay, you know? You all know the difference between right brain and left brain, don't you? Come on, you get psychology today. You know the difference, yeah, there's... there's <laughs> <clears throat> left brain, for those of you aren't sure, it's, it's cognitive and analytical and linear. You know, there's people sitting out there with pads on their laps saying, he hasn't said anything I can write down yet. You know, kind of, <laughs> And right brain's more kind of intuitive and holistic and Californian, you know, kind of thing. So if I, if I jump around a little bit, don't, like, don't be critical and everything, just hang in there, because honestly, it'll, it'll all come together in a holistic flash at 10-15, okay? you get that, all right? Um, I've had the good privilege of also working with another woman that I, that I really, really admire, as a woman named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Any of you know her, her work? Yeah, yeah, she's wonderful. She plays mandolin with a band in Long Beach, and there's, uh, there, no. I was kidding. There's a different one. Elizabeth, as many of you know, has been formative in the hospice movement. When you can't increase the quantity of someone's life, you can better the quality of their life. You know, and She was telling me a story one time about when she was working with a woman who was dying. And uh, she came downstairs in the morning, and she said, oh, Good morning! You know, and the woman kind of woke up and said, Good morning, Elizabeth. Elizabeth threw back the curtains and said, Oh, look, it's such a bright, sunny day out today. Is there anything I can do for you today? And the woman thought for a second. She said, Yes, Elizabeth, there is. Elizabeth said, oh good, what can I do for you today? The woman looked at her and she said, go away. (laughs) Elizabeth said she went out in the other room and she felt crushed, she was so hurt. You know, and then she said, wait a minute. I asked this woman a perfectly okay question and she came up with a perfectly okay answer and here I am out in the other room having hurt feelings. She said, a little red flag went up for me that said, Elizabeth, you've got some unfinished business to take care of here and this woman just helps you point out a way to take a look at that. See what that is, you know, what was going on, what were you expecting from that interaction, you know? See, I think those red flags come up for us every day in the form of our emotions about how we're feeling about something. And what we learned to do, is, when we learned in our, in our unevenly parented families that those feelings weren't okay, we just stuff them back down again. Because they're not okay for us to have those feelings—that we're upset, or that we're angry, or we're scared of somebody, or that we've upset someone, we've done something wrong. But the thing is, if we're going to commit to self-growth, we got to take that risk to look at when those flags come up and pay attention to them, because they come up all the time. You know? Um, okay. I was going to tell you this this other story here about this this bee. This, let's pretend I'm a bee doctor for a second. Okay? Now this bee's coming over to to get to get some help. <laughs> really? See. Sometimes what happens is, is we diagnose the wrong organism, okay? Organism, okay, yeah, <laughs> hey, I want to make sure you're awake. And, um, you know, usually when we think of an organism, it's like a, a, an animal or a plant that has all its protoplasm in the same place, you know, like a bee or a giraffe or an elephant or something like that, right? And sometimes we diagnose the wrong organism. Let's for a minute just take and expand our imaginations to see the hive over here as an organism itself, because it is kind of an organism, right? You know, like all the, all the protoplasm comes together at night in the same place, right? And the cells are like the individual bees. They're like do different things. Like one lays eggs, and some fertilize the eggs. Some clean out the hive, and, and some get food, right? So it's kind of an organism. Sometimes that organism can have a disease, and we diagnose the wrong organism. And, and I mean that in the true sense of the word. I mean a dis-ease that affects every member and every cell of that organism, okay? And I think our families are like that. I think that we have family dis-ease, a lot of us, okay? And that even though we may not have substance problems or other kinds of problems that are so obvious, we may be successful in our lives, and by a lot of measures in our culture, we can still be dying of loneliness inside. And our brothers and sisters can maybe be having alcoholic problems and things like this, and we go, well, I don't have a problem. But we came out of the same dis-ease, and we reflect that. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit. I wanted to share some of my my dis-ease, because I I found that... um, Looking at some of the painful things, turning the knife a little bit, sometimes empowers us in such wonderful ways that we can move on in a more centered, balanced way in our life without always having to be driven by the pain we don't want to look at. Okay, would that be all right if we did that? It's okay. You don't care, you're here anyway, right? You know, there's a... <laughs> Better be funny though, man, there's a laughter conference, you know, there's a... Well, I was in a lot of denial, actually, about some of my family. You people know what denial is, don't you? Uh-uh. Uh-huh. It's a river in Egypt. You knew that. I bet you knew that. Yes. The, uh, I was telling some guy about this chart. We had a big family, you know, with a lot of kids, and so we had a chore chart, kind of logical graph that you put up. And, with it. and when we, my dad got home at 6 o'clock, if, if you hadn't done your chores, for every chore you hadn't done, you'd have to bend over and grab your ankles and spank you on the butt one time with a John Brown belt for every chore you hadn't done, you know? And I was telling someone about this, and he said, well, Peter, well, you're an abused child. And I said, me? <laughs> Man, I'm not an abuse... I mean, I talk to people about abused children. I mean, come on. My father didn't come home and, like, thrash us or anything. I mean, come on. He was very organized about it, you know. There's... <laughs> I said, and besides, it was my own responsibility. If I, if I had done my chores, I wouldn't have gotten hit. So it was my responsibility for getting hit, right? You know, and the guy looked at me and said, Peter, a child is never, 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 never responsible for being abused. It's true. It might have been your responsibility to do your chores, but it was your father's choice to hit you for not doing them. A little light one i know always said. Yeah. And he used to say, this hurts me more than it hurts you, too, you know. I remember offering to switch places with him once, but he never went with it, you know, kind of. Like. <laughs> so with that in mind, I wanted to talk a little bit about my family, because I started taking a look at, at some of the stuff that was going on. I'm going to talk about a traditional family with alcoholism going on, and, and talk about family roles, which is something that Sharon Wegshider-Cruz came up with. How many of you are familiar with the term codependency? Hey, look at those. Hands go up in the audience. That's great, okay. Well, to go back in my family, let's find an alcoholic. We could have been any of my ancestors, actually. Alsop is a derivation of the word ale shop, so, hey, you know, (laughs) can I tell you. Uh, My my grandfather uh, was a real alcoholic, my dad's dad. And uh, stuff in the family that causes the uneven parenting doesn't need to be alcoholism, although I'm willing to bet we can't go back in many of our families more than a generation or two without finding someone who is chemically dependent. You know, it's that endemic. It could be mental illness, as I said. It could be prescription drugs. It could be because somebody murdered somebody back there as a family secret. It could be because of incest or sexual abuse in the family. It could be because of mental illness. You know, there's all sorts of things that go on that cause family shame and secrets where you can't talk about anything, you know, and where emotions aren't supposed to come up. Um, And and what happens is in the the traditional family, although I'm not sure exactly how traditional it is, I keep using that word, where the older male uh, might be the alcoholic. Uh, the mom plays the role of the enabler. There certainly happens in the other way around, too, where women alcoholics have husbands who are enablers. You all know what enablers are? They're the, they're, the, they're the ones that call up, you know, she calls up on Monday morning and says, Bob can't come to work today because uh, he's uh, got the flu and Bob's really just hung over from drinking too much Sunday night. You know? She's enabling him to go on with his, with his behavior without feeling the consequences of it. And um, my dad was an enabler for his father, you see what would happen is he'd take my, my granddad down and get him dried out. And then, um, and then my, my father would uh, get called in the middle of the night by my grandfather and say, Sammy, i got to have a drink. And my father would say, okay, dad, down, downstairs bathroom behind the Pepto-Bismol, there's a half pint of JB. This is enabling behavior, folks. So we're talking about feelings. What's the main feeling that an enabler has? Well, it's one of anger. You're angry because you can't control this person's habit. You're angry about it, you know. And when you're angry all the time, people don't want to be around you. So what do you have to do to your own behavior? You have to control your own behavior. So, I was raised by a guy who was a control freak. You know, he controlled his four kids' behavior real, real heavily. Now, how does that make you feel when someone controls your behavior? How do you feel? Makes you angry, you see? My dad raised four very angry kids. And uh, and all of my brothers and sisters have been chemically dependent, except me. I have other things I use, which we'll get into later. I have an older daughter and a younger daughter, and I was watching my older daughter do these heavy-duty control trips on my younger daughter, and I knew right where she got them from. And this is four generations away from the the practicing alcoholic in my family. Do you see how it's a family disease? Do you see how that cycle of anger and control can get passed on in a family? Actually, I got one of my my daughters here tonight who's gonna help me do a song about that. Would that be okay if she came up and did a song? Where are you, Willow? You out there somewhere? Here she comes. So what happens, you see, is us enablers always stay in our heads. We're trying to be logical. That way we don't have to deal with all the feelings down here in our bodies, you see. And I'm trying to teach this to my daughter, Willow, when she's five, right? And I say, listen, honey, you have to learn how to be logical if you want to learn to get along with grown-ups in the world. And she says, that's not why you want me to be logical, Dad. And I said, well, why do I want you to be logical, honey? She said, so I'll do it your way. <laughs> Busted, so at least I got a good song out of the thing. And I'm going to teach it to you. It goes like this. Logical, logical. Why do you have to be so logical? Never mind, don't tell me why You'll have a logical reply Okay, let's try it all together, here you go, you ready? Logical, logical why do you have to be so good singing? All right. Never mind. Don't tell me why you'll have a logical reap. That's great. Now, see, I was a school teacher for a while, and I used to teach kids how to act like grown-ups. Now I go around the country teaching grown-ups how to act like kids. It's a much healthier gig, let me tell you. It's true. And in case you're having trouble getting back in touch with that little five-year-old inside of you that bought into the fact that you were supposed to be logical if you were going to be accepted in the adult world, we've got an exercise for you. We're going to sing this chorus one more time, but this time what I want you to do is I want you all to scrunch up your noses. Please scrunch them out now. Check your neighbors. Make sure they're scrunching their noses, too, and we'll try it one more time. Here we go. Logical, logical, why do you have to be so... Good, scrunching, all right. Never mind, don't tell me why you'll have to... That's great, I love watching you people. Some people are out there, they're scrunching and singing. Other people are sitting here saying, I'll scrunch my nose, but I'm not checking my neighbor's nose. There's no way.
1: Dad, I'm too full to eat my beans.
0: You're too full, what does that mean? My
1: tummy's got no room, it's true. Well,
0: that means no room for dessert, too.
1: Well, I have space left for ice cream.
0: Then you could fill that space with beans. No room for ice cream, then too bad. Logical, logical, why do you have to be so good singing? All right. Never mind, don't tell me why you'll have a logical reply. All right.
1: Dad, I'm too sick for school today, but I don't need medicine, okay?
0: Well, don't you want to feel well?
1: Yeah, but I can't t- stand the smell. that stuff tastes like old dead clams, it'll make me sicker than I am. I'm not that sick, Dad, I won't die.
0: Then off to school you go, goodbye. Dad? Logical, logical, why do you have to be so logical? Never mind, don't tell me why, you'll have a logical reply. This is great, some people are still holding full scrunch out there. Have you noticed that? Well, it is. you ever go see the did any of you ever see the movie E.T.? Remember that? Remember the early parts of the movie, how scary it was in the cornfield? There, you know, I took my little girl Megan in to see that, you know, and she's going, Let me out of here. I'm going, No, no, dear, you're gonna like it. It's a kid's film, it's wonderful. You know? excuse me. Do you like monster movies, dear?
1: I don't like this one, he's too weird. Well, he's
0: just an actor, you know that.
1: I don't care, his head's all fat.
0: He saves a little, boy, you know.
1: Who cares? I'm scared. Come on, let's go.
0: Yes? Ah, there he is. I'm out of here. Remember that one? (laughs) Willow and I talked about this before. You know, when we see people get up on stage, they never, never make mistakes. So Willow said she was going to make a couple of mistakes tonight, just so that you people weren't inhibited by her performance and, and your own growth. So we really appreciate that. Do you like monster movies, dear?
1: I don't like this one. He's too weird.
0: Well, he's just an actor. You know that.
1: I don't care. His head's all fat.
0: He saves a little boy, you know.
1: Who cares? I'm scared. Come on, let's go. Ah, there he is. I'm out of here.
0: Come back. It's just a movie, dear. Logical, logical, why do you have to be so logical? Good. Never mind, don't tell me why you'll have a logical reply. Here, maybe you can relate to this one.
1: But I don't want to learn to swim.
0: Come on, it's fun, I'll help you in.
1: Don't push me in, I'll drown out. Ah.
0: Splash, that's good, now move your legs around. Help me! You're okay. This will save your life someday, and swimming's healthy too, you know. Hey, wait a minute. Where'd you go? (laughs) Gee, they didn't sing with us on that one. Come on, it's time to take your bath.
1: Mom, I haven't done my math.
0: Then why is television on?
1: It's almost over, Mom. Come on.
0: Your neck is filthy. Let's go. Move.
1: But I don't see what this will prove. I just get dirty every day. So let's save water, okay?
0: No. Logical. Logical. Why don't you like it when I'm logical? Never mind, don't tell me why You'll have a logical reply Logical, put your hands together Logical Why do you have to be so logical? Never mind, don't tell me why You'll have a logical reply Alright! Hello! So you got the dad drinking and the mom enabling, you know, and then what they say is they say, gee, you know, our relationship doesn't seem to be working so well. Hey, I know. Let's have a baby and save the marriage. So that's it for today. Next week, we'll listen to Chapter 3 of Family Roles and discuss the family hero, the perfect kid, and the family scapegoat the one who always gets blamed for everything by everyone else in the family. I want to give a big special thanks to my daughter, Willow Gear for singing with me on this and for all the other times and places she sung with me and to Bob Blue, whose work with kids has been phenomenal. We were friends and loved each other's music. Bob contracted MS and had to stop teaching his second graders, but he went back to the same school and volunteered as a mentor to his class. He'd show up every day and was there for the kids who needed help. He stayed with them as they progressed up through the grades each year. If you're interested in kids and teaching, please check out his wonderful work. You can find his materials at BobBlue.org. It's Blue, B-L-U-E. I'll see you next week here uh, with Chapter 3 of Family Roles. Bye for now.